Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jay Williams, and joining me today is Christoph Katzbeck. Hey, Jay. This is uh, two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. I don't know if we've ever had back-to-back podcasts together. Back by popular demand. Well, I feel like I should take it... I'm glad that you are doing this podcast with me today. That makes it sound like I'm not normally glad that you're doing <laughs> podcasts with me. Why, yeah, why are you glad? I'm specifically ga- glad. Ooh, specifically glad today because you had a little confession here before which, we started. Which one? You confessed that you normally don't listen to the sermon, but you did actually listen to the sermon. I didn't say that. You said I you did not said, say that. You are normally twisting I don't my pay words. Attention. Normally I don't pay attention. I'm all over the place. I'm thinking about other things. But this weekend I actually paid attention. So when I asked you, hey, do you want to do the podcast? You're like, hey, I actually actually listened. Whether what you just said is true or not, I, I did not say that. That is, that, oh. that is. I said I took notes, which which is true. I took some notes from oh. the sermon. Listen, having uh, a one and a half year old okay. uh, is it, just, it makes you know uh, it it makes things a little complicated, and so uh, it feels Sarah and I kind of take shifts with him, and it's like you can get to hear ten minutes, and she gets to hear ten minutes, and and then normally I'll go and listen to the full. Uh, sermon afterwards but thanks for putting me on blast yeah, i appreciate that yourself. yeah that's that's super kind <laughs> here i am like all right hey teenagers really good to go to church make sure to pay attention like here's how you and uh now you've you've caught me uh actively saying that i i, I mean the I'm teenagers just, do for the most part pay time they do great no, I get they're great awesome. conversation yeah. i get great questions from them yeah they just, fill me in afterwards that's that's yeah. where i get the sermon from actually is from the teenagers afterwards i ask yeah. them so you're going to blame, I mean, I don't know which is worse, me putting you on blast that way, or are you blaming your one-and-a-half-year-old son for keeping you from... Yeah, that's answer? fair, yeah. That's, talk about putting on blast. He's, I, yeah. he's so adorable. He, he doesn't that's keep true. anybody from anything. He is, but he is he is the epitome of the kid who, like, the moment you're like, all right, we're, gonna, we're going to pray, and uh, you, you begin, like, everyone gets really quiet, and he is he is the one who starts talking in that moment. He is the one who just starts babbling, like uh, it was his job to pray. Like, you were inviting him to pray. What's wrong with that? Um, Why wouldn't you want him to pray? Are you saying I'm, you don't just, want your son to pray? This is listen, getting listen, weird. Let's talk about that. Let's not talk about anger. Let's talk about how your son is an obstacle, a, a hindrance I feel like to the gospel for you, evidently, and yeah. you don't want him to pray. I feel like you're twisting my words a little here, Jay. Um, I mean, you have heard Jay say. You've heard it. You've heard Jay say. I was it, get uh, careful. But I tell you that. <laughs> careful. Not what I say. Speaking of which, you like that transition? That was such a great transition. I heard a. I watched a basketball game this weekend. That's the transition. Oh my goodness. You're going to get a taste of what Robbie dealt <laughs> okay. with. Robbie, so many times we have these awesome transitions. I'm like, also, a bird flew by our window. Jerk the and I just, steering yeah, wheel. Yeah, just like I grabbed the steering wheel back. But yeah, you, well, you were saying you've heard Jay say, and then, and so kind of paraphrasing scripture. Um, this weekend, I was watching the Iowa women's basketball game. I, big weekend for Iowa basketball. I'm sure of lots course, of people, yes, yeah. lots of our listeners, mm-hmm. all billions of our listeners, uh, <laughs> there are several that were riveted. Big fans. Or the yeah. Iowa men on Saturday had one of the greatest comebacks in NCAA history. Um, I definitely and, knew that, yes. And uh, it was crazy. They hit five three-pointers in 40 seconds, the last wow. 40 seconds of the game to force overtime. And then it was it was the, one of the craziest yeah. things ever. A little wild. So all pretty right. wild. Yeah. And then the next day... The Iowa women, who are ranked like sixth in the country, played the number two team in the country, and their star player hit a buzzer beater, um, a, a game-winning three-pointer, and they won at the buzzer, and it was crazy. And the announcer, um, because the Iowa player is like the best player in the country, and uh, he said all things are possible uh, when Caitlin Clark has the ball. <laughs> and I thought... <laughs> That is, oh, yeah, I know. So you're just you're these uncomfortable paraphrases. We've had that conversation in our house, like paraphrasing worship songs, you know, like doing parodies of yep, worship yep, songs yep. or parodies of like, I, I don't know where you stand on that. that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know where people stand on that. It's a it, you got to be careful. Yeah, I've gotten. And of course, I can't think of any off the top. Don't. Yeah, probably don't. A good thing. Don't. Yeah. You're going to ruin some uh, great. I have definitely. Thing. Well, and listen, like my my wife is like, you know, uh worship leader so, yeah. <laughs> so right so she yeah uh when i do the parodies of worship songs that's uh that's not, it. not it's met, tricky not met with warmth let's right. just go with that it's uh it's like i don't know 
about that one. See, now parodies of songs on K Love, no problem. I'll do I'll do those yeah. all day long. But yeah. but parodies of like hymns. Or like songs we sing on songs we sing. Yeah, like yeah. I don't like getting those don't, in my head. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to do that. Parodies so, are parodies are dangerous. It's yeah. bad enough that I do all the sound checks for them whenever I've been involved in that in my Bob Dylan or my Eddie Vedder. They just they just pour out. It just he just yeah. comes out. So um, I really I, am getting the Robbie treatment here. We went from Iowa basketball to <laughs> worship music to your yep. Bob Dylan or Eddie Vedder yep. voice. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, no. All right. Careful, anger. Careful. Anger. Anyways, we're we're before we get anyone angry, yeah. Before we get angry, oh, we were making our listeners angry. No, no. Look what I we did before we got. Before no, we. No, I think we already angry. did it. Well, then this will be a good. Well, I already get. I got chastised because another person said that they listen to the podcast. So we're up to five now. Wow. So reaching billions, but only five here. Kind of like the sermon. So like you, you're there. You're reached, but you're not listening. <laughs> Yeah. So okay. now that we've made everybody angry, okay. let's talk about the anger Reeling sermon. In. Yeah. So Sermon on the Mount, we've been we we uh, have started a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, you started off this section, and I thought it was it was really it was important and it was good that you set up this next section of the Sermon on the Mount, talking about uh, how how Jesus specifically says this phrase. You have heard it was said. But I say to you, um, and I and I wrote so part of my notes that I don't normally take, but I did take. Uh, it's, you're going to be like those notes were terrible, but what what they say it meant versus what it actually means, uh, and you really like you spent some time really digging into that, and I thought that that was that was really important. Why did you feel like it was so important to set up this section, not just today's sermon, but kind of future ones to set that up? I mean, that's a good question. I feel like that's one of those things, man, that I, I really wanted to communicate well, and I don't feel like I did. Um, you just never feel like you tie a bow on it. Uh, I'm not known for tying a lot of bows. Like, I, I like to leave people just thinking yeah, and asking yeah. questions. Um, but there are times where I want to drive home a point. And the biggest thing about that is there's a reason why Jesus says, you have heard it said, rather than saying, well, as the Old Testament says, or as the Psalms say. He quotes the Psalms in other places, but there he says, you have heard it said, because what he's addressing is interpretations of the law. And I think that's so critical because we live in a culture right now where people, especially, I mean, here, I can only speak to the American church because that's where I am, but I've, I've seen it in Western evangelicalism where we espouse things that we have heard, but we don't always know what the scripture says. It, it happens, or, or if we do know, we pull it, we pull it out of context and we may not even know we're pulling it out of context. So sometimes when I talk about, Hey, don't, don't do bad proof texting. There's good proof texting. Like if you want to communicate to somebody that will know God loves us while we're sinners, a good proof text is Romans five, eight. Um, but there's bad proof texting, which is when because proof texting is, I'm going to use this short text to prove this concept that I'm saying. So obviously, good proof texting is that verse actually does back up what I'm saying. Bad proof texting is I'm taking a verse out of context, and it doesn't actually back up what I'm saying. And so when we talk about bad proof texting, that's a very common thing that happens, but nobody thinks they do it. because, And the reason they don't the reason why we don't know that we're doing it is because we've always heard it said. Sure. Yeah. Right. So um, I could have used other examples. So for an, an example is a, a funny example I've used before is how Philippians 4.13. I mean, we just um, mentioned it. Philippians 4.13 gets misused all the time, especially in the athletic world. Absolutely. Philippians yeah. 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength or through Christ who strengthens me, depending on the translation. And so people use that as like, I can take this mountain, I can win this game, I can lift this weight, I can defeat this opponent, I can you know, pass this test, I can make uh, like start this successful business, like I can do all things. And that is not at all the context of it. But when you try to bring that up, a lot of times people, they're like, well, what do you mean? Well, the reason, the reason why they think it means all of those things is because they've heard it said. They've, they've heard 
a sermon. They've heard other people quote it. They've seen it, you know, on iBlack, you know, they've seen, you know, all these different things. And so they have formed in their mind, this is what it really means. And if you challenge that in their mind, you're challenging God's word. Does that make sense? So right, like yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so what we're, what I was wanting to do was really make sure that we set up this idea that, well, for example, in Philippians 4, that's not what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about, I can take any hill, I can climb any mountain, I can swim any sea, I can defeat any opponent. He's talking about contentment. Right. He's saying, I can, right. I can endure any circumstance um, because it's Christ who strengthens me. Christ is enough. He, his grace is sufficient. He is, so whether I'm healthy or, or sick or poor or wealthy or any of these things, um, I, can, I can endure that. I can be content. Um, because of Jesus. And so if you press press on that, people struggle because they've always heard it said. Um, there's n- countless other examples of that, which you know we, we, we could use some of them or not, but that's an example of how that happens. And I have found that often um, when people are challenged in a sermon or when I get negative feedback, um, it's often not because of application points or even um, it's not even often because of interpretation there. Um, it's their interpret. They understand they've always understood a particular passage in a particular way. And when, um, and then you're challenging that you're challenge when you challenge their interpretation of it, then that gets people get, upset because they think you're challenging scripture. They think you're, and, and you're not. And so now could you be sure? And could you be wrong? Yes. But, um, but we just want to make sure we're not confusing those two things. What we've always heard about a particular passage, um, versus what the passage actually says. And especially when Jesus goes into these six things, he's saying some really challenging things. And all of us have heard different things about you know these about anger lust divorce oaths retaliation and loving your enemies those six things these these six um, little sections are so interpreted heavily and often interpreted in a way that kind of clears us as you know as righteous yeah and so yeah. we want to redefine these things and so all I was trying to do um, in and I feel like I did it shorter in the sermon than I did. <laughs> That's why it didn't work. Um, I just wanted to set the stage and say, hey, Jesus is going to challenge their interpretations of God's law. And likewise, I want us to understand he's going to challenge our interpretations of what we've always understood him to be saying in this. And we have to be open to that. We have to be open to saying, if I respond with, well, no, no, that's not it, because I've always heard it this way, well, then we're doing the thing that Jesus is right. challenging. Right. He's saying, you've heard it said this, but I say this. Jesus is the authority. His word is the authority, not our interpretations of it. Yeah, and it feels like, so I have two thoughts with that. Um, the first one is it feels like we exist in a time in history where that's even more amplified than it was 2000 years ago. Not that it wasn't back then. Um, You look at the different uh, books and um, what was studied within Jewish culture, it makes sense that they elevated these things that were not scripture to that status. I'm not saying it was the right thing, but it makes sense that they were able to. But now we live in a time of, and again, these aren't bad things, but we live in a time of study Bibles. We live in a time of commentaries. We live in a time of easily accessible sermons, um, all sorts of things um, that are right at our fingertips that it's really easy to get our version, like, our, you know, taking anger for an example, our version of what is the proper um, context of anger. And, and so I, like, I thought when you, when you, when you started to set it up on Sunday morning, and I think it's just a really important application even now is to remind ourselves that we should constantly not we should be challenged in the way that we think about these things the way that we think of how we love other people the way that we think of how we how we live our lives jesus should press on that um 
like th there should always be a point in which we, we are pushed on these things because if we're not, then that means that we're kind of coming in with our own idea of what it means to be angry, what it means to, um, what that looks like. And I think, I mean, a little bit off the cuff, but the last, you know, you look at the last four to eight years of our, our current history, and there's been a lot of anger that has been exposed across all sorts of spectrums, right? And so it, it's like, whoa, anger, anger is there. It always, it feels like it's been amplified over the last couple of years. It goes, okay, well, in what ways were we, were we not listening to how Jesus called us to be angry? In what ways have we kind of let this slide? And so I think it's just so important to have that context of we should be humble in how we approach uh, the Word of God. We should have the humility of going, yeah, I might have like these commentaries that say this thing. I might have this pastor who says this thing. I might have this book that says this thing. But like when I approach God's Word, if it challenges that, I need to I need to trust God's word over my presupposed idea of what, what that means. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why it's so critical that we should spend more time reading the Bible than we read things about the Bible. Like we should be so rooted in that so that we can hear. I mean, there's the, um, the old adage about the best way to know if something's counterfeit is to know what the real thing is. Right, and right. so we want to be, we talk about gospel fluency. So we really want to know the gospel narrative so well that when we hear a false version, we know, we just, we know it not because we know all the false versions out there. Um, not because we're focused on all those, but because we are so fluent in the true gospel that we recognize when something is off. But similarly with scripture, it's, um, you know, man, I, whenever someone, whenever someone, um, introduces an idea that I'm, it goes against what I've always held or believed or what I currently hold and believe. My first thought is like, okay, well show me. I, okay. Like if, if, unless, unless the, the concept itself contradicts the gospel narrative and contradicts like the nature of who God is, you know? So, um, if somebody says when people have made the argument that like, well, I think God is learning and changing and growing and I'm like, okay, well, no, no, he's not like that. Right. Right. I mean, I, and I would, I would still say like, well, you could make your case, but I'm, 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 I know like, yeah, I've, that's, you're not going to change my mind. Yeah. We've investigated that enough or whatever, but there are other things where you're like, okay, well, where do you see that in scripture? And I don't want to just, um, I don't want to just espouse like phrases that I've heard in the past, um, or that, that, I don't know, just kind of feed this one understanding I have rather than like, actually, okay, well tell me what scripture says, or where do you see that in scripture? I want to be open to to that and open to understanding. Interestingly, it was those in the crowd who were open to that that heard what Jesus was saying. Right? Like they and so by doing that, they were um they actually understood better what what the what God's law actually was rather than, you know, the interpretation of it. And I think you're right. I think it's happened a lot we we just we quote and i quote theologians and pastors um and all that but but again i think the reason that i think that's good to do it and the way we try to do it here is if i quote a pastor or a theologian the order that i want to go in is you know you make you make the point that you pulled out of scripture you use scripture to to like back up that point and then often i'll you know use a another theologian to say hey other people also see this right i feel like that's a responsible thing to do because if i just get up there and i'm like well i think this and then i pick a few verses that might back up my idea but nobody else in the history of christianity has thought that well then i'm probably maybe i need to go back yeah maybe i need to go back yeah. and, and rethink that um but it's it can be encouraging to know oh there are other people who have also seen this in in scripture yeah yeah i i I agree with that. And it's, it's again, not to down. I love reading commentaries and in, in that they're all useful in, in their proper context. But uh, when, when it comes to anger, so let like think a little bit about anger because that's what you yeah. specifically talked about. You, you talked about how Jesus not only 
it wasn't this redefining, but it was actually kind of this elevation of the call to righteousness. And, and it was, it was kind of this de, de, de elevating is not the word. Uh, can't think of what the word is. Now I feel dumb. All right. Uh, it was kind of this minimizing, we'll go with that minimizing of self-righteousness and this like raising the bar of what anger actually is. Um, I guess talk about that for, for a little bit. Um, well, that's interesting. What you just said there made me think of, oh, I should have included this in the sermon. But not only not only would people have not... So, so Jesus is, is equating anger, he's saying anger, he's connecting it to murder. So he's saying that if you... The judgment that the murderer gets is also the judgment for yeah. the person who's yeah. angry. And that's a pretty striking statement. Not only would people have not connected those two like that, um, but I think even more so, they would have seen their anger as a mark of righteousness. Right. Yeah. 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 So you like, talked about that. Yeah. There was like this, I'm angry for the right reasons. Right. Or, yeah. yeah. I'm angry. Yeah. And so, so that's what you see in the Pharisees. You see this constant kind of anger at sinners and anger at the world and anger at the Romans and anger at all these different things. And they're, they're just angry. And, and that's kind of a badge of honor. And I see that in our culture today. Oh, I didn't yeah. mention that. I wish I would have. But in our culture today, it's almost like, man, the the angrier I am about this, the more righteous I am because I have this righteous indignation. And so we dismiss what Jesus is saying because we're like, yeah, but he's talking about other people who are angry about dumb things and, and where things where they're wrong, but I'm right. And so therefore my anger is not only justified, but it, like I said, it's a badge of righteousness. Um, and I think Jesus kind of blows that up and says, you know, that's, that's not, um, like this is how serious anger actually is and anger, um, anger kind of left, left unattended and left, uh, and, and fed into is what results. That's what results in murder. And that's, that was the point I was trying to make too, of that it's not just about me and my own individual pursuit of this and saying, well, I don't. I don't want to become angry because I might kill somebody. Like it's, it's, I'm feeding into a culture of murder. I'm feel, mm-hmm. feeding into a culture of anger that is evil and dark when I feed into that in my neighbor. When my neighbor's angry about something and I tell them how justified they are in their anger and I, I get angry about it too. And I, um, I speak with contempt about the people that they're angry about. And, um, and then we, it just, like I said, it, it kind of escalates like that. And, uh, I think in the kingdom, you see that being diffused and through, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. And, you know, as it was even read, was it read during worship? Um, you know, as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone. Um, so, yeah. and I think Jason read that and, you know, those kinds of passages are like, that's the way of the kingdom, not how do we escalate each other's anger, but there's a de-escalation of anger um, and, and peace. And the de-escalation of anger is not just in saying like, well, just don't let things bother you. It's in the pursuit of God's justice. Like it's, it's in, it's in the letting go of um, my claim on vengeance. For example, that's part of letting go. That's part of like anger being de-escalated is that, um, you know, sometimes we're angry because we want a person, we want justice. So we're angry about injustices. And so, um, well, that always feels like that feels like the hallmark justification for anger right now. At least, at least what I've noticed is it feels like the big, the big justification right now is I'm angry and God wants me to be angry at this because it's not just, um, and, I don't, so I don't know. Or true. It, it, and it feels like, so I will say this, it does feel like there are moments where that is, uh, and, and you you said this, you alluded to this in, in, in your sermon, that there are moments where this is called for, um, and not, maybe not called for, but moments where we will, we will be angry. There will be an anger. Um, but it also feels like when we have this anger, it feels like it is driving us away from loving our neighbor than it is driving us towards loving our neighbor. Does that make sense? Yes. 
and and I th- I think there is an I think there is an anger towards justice that drives me into deeper loving my neighbor that then diffuses that anger and then there is an anger that like escalates it and causes me to I don't I don't know if that makes sense I'm kind of just thinking off yeah. the top of my head here but um, that feels to me like one of the biggest, if I were to look at our culture and go, well, this is where it seems to be justified. And I think if Jesus were here, he would go, no, this is, this is kind of, as you were just saying this, this culture of, of murder, which is a really kind of, that's a, that's a heavy statement right there, but that's what it is. If we're believing what Jesus said, if Jesus were here today, what would he go? No, this is, this is the kind of anger that is murder in your heart and it needs to go. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about just when you said that a culture of murder, what's interesting about that is that most times, and unless the person's a sociopath, the person who murders thinks what they're doing is just. Right. Even if it's in the moment and they're overcome by rage, there's something like there, even a crime of passion has an element of justice and us as the justice bringer. And so that's like, to me, step one in in anger and dealing with anger is saying, okay, I'm angry at the injustice, but there is one who brings justice, and it's not right, me. Right. So, so it's it's like the it's like the pain point. So yes, I'm angry at that injustice, um, but at some point I have to be able to say, but. I don't need to carry the burden of bringing justice fully because that's it, it is secure. It is going to happen, and Jesus is going to do it. Um, but what you said about loving your neighbor is, I think you know one one kind of litmus test is, is it, like if you're wondering, was well, this righteous anger or is it unrighteous anger? Um, the anger of the Pharisees was angry at people about their laws and about their, like, basically it was angry. They just felt like other people were messing things up. Right. Like, right. Like it's, and that's like pretty common anger in our culture right now. I'm angry at other people because they're the ones messing everything up and they don't live the way I did. And if everybody lived the way I did, it'd be then, fine. Yeah. Then be it'd, everything would be fine. And so I'm just angry that you don't get it. So that's one form of anger, which is not righteous anger at all. That is the anger of the Pharisees. Um, another form is like what we talked about that justice, but it's not our justice to have like to avenge. Um, you see that, man, you see how anger consumes people. Uh, like when they're the victims, like if their family is a victim of a terrible crime and you see it through the trial and the court cases and everything, there are families who let anger consume them and families who do not. And it's really fascinating to watch. Nobody would say you don't have a right to be angry right? Like the, what happened is horrible and evil and, and evil should anger us. Like when we see it causing destruction. Um, but do we let that anger kind of take root, um, and, and consume us because it, it, and it will, because it'll turn on us. It doesn't, it doesn't care. Anger doesn't care about justice. It doesn't care about who's right or who's wrong. It just wants to consume. It's a fire that just kind of consumes. And so, um, so those are two areas where we kind of say, okay, that that's where anger can happen. But I find even in that situation, one litmus test is often righteous anger is rooted in compassion and love. Yeah, yeah. So it starts with compassion and love and compassion for a person. And my anger is then about what happens to that person that I have compassion for or compassion on. You see this with Jesus. One of the times that he's not angry at the Pharisees is when he raises Lazarus from the grave. And there's the, he cries out. Um, he, he cries out, he weeps. And so we always like, we like to just um, dismiss that as just grief. Like he's just sad, but he's not. Like the 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 Aramaic there, the the, the word there is, is like an anger. It's like an animal cry, like an, ang- mm. like an anger. He's angry at, sin like he's angry at the brokenness of everything he's angry at like the enemy and how he destroys ang- he's angry at it he's not angry at Lazarus he's not angry at Mary and Martha um but there's anger there but it's because of his love and his compassion for the people um he's angry at the Pharisees because they are causing little ones to stumble there he is causing he's keeping they're keeping people from God and so it's his compassion and his love for his people 
that bring him to that. And then, like I said, with the, the, you know, a crime against a loved one, that's when we would say like, oh, that's, yeah, I mean, of course, if someone harmed my child, I'm going to be angry, but it's rooted in my love for my child, which is very different than when it's rooted in my self-righteousness. It's rooted in the fact that I want my life to be convenient. You are inconveniencing me. You are ruining things. You are making my work life difficult. You're making my home life difficult. You're making my commute, you know, my drive to the grocery <laughs> store difficult. Come on, you don't um, have to get that real. You're making like you're making all of these things hard and it's a selfish, self focused yeah. anger. And that is just pure darkness and it and it will it will consume quickly. Well, and you talked you talked about that on Sunday of that consu- that that consuming and that prolonging, that just kind of sits in your heart. And anyone who has who has experienced that knows that it just it does not produce. Like it's interesting. You go to the fruit of the spirit, right? You go to these markers that we have of saying, is is what what is taking root in my life? Is is it God honoring? Is it helping me to love the Lord and, and love others? And we examine the fruit, and we go well was this root producing the kind of fruit that we are called to produce or we're, we're called to at least see God producing in us. If it's not, then this, this anger is just, it's consuming and it drives us away from that. And um, I think you, you made that point. And I thought that that really, to me on Sunday really stood out of just this, like here is this kind of marker of um, self-righteous anger versus, Versus the righteous anger that 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 is that 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 happens. I don't yeah. know. It's it's interesting. Cause I, I I so hesitate to go. You know, Jesus like paints this picture of just of not being angry, and so it even feels difficult if you're just looking at that passage to go like even righteous anger. Like it's difficult to encourage people to be righteously angry, <laughs> right? But it, but it encourage. happens. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is, I so I didn't I didn't use this example, but I. All right. Well, it's the podcast. I can always cut it out later oh if we need to. Make note of the time, no. write it down. All right. No, like, I mean, I was thinking, I, I heard an argument one time um, from a, a pro-life argument that I thought was really good. If you've ever had an argument with somebody or a debate with somebody arguing you know, for um, the pro-life position, yeah. Yeah. protecting the life of the unborn, um, almost always the pushback you're going to get are these extreme circumstances, you know, these, right, these horrible right. circumstances, you know, and they'll say like, well, what about you saying that you wouldn't, you know, be okay if it, you know, like a 10 year old and all these, I mean, just horrible right. circumstances. And I, one time I heard a guy respond to that. I thought, oh man, that is so simply brilliant. I've never thought about responding in that way. And now that's my favorite response. What he responded with was he said, okay, if I was willing to give in on those, would you then say that all the rest of abortions are evil and wrong? Like he's saying like everyone wants to pull out those like specifics, but if we, if, if we did make an exception, would you, would you then, you know, right. would you concede, concede to that just, the rest of these, yeah. you're using these as an example. What if we said, yep, that's, you're right. And then look, but the rest of these, and of course the answer is no, because that's not the point. Like right. what we do is we create a straw man or we take extreme examples and to to defend us in the non-extreme examples. So we're going to use this horrible example of this ca- this very extreme case to defend um, the normalcy of abortion. And and that's that's bad logic. It's bad argument. It's bad rhetoric. Um, but we do that with anger. And so immediately people, that's why I was saying people will often go to right. Like, well, are you saying that there's no form of righteous anger? And even if I was going to say, okay, listen, like let let there be righteous anger. If you just put that aside for a second and let's deal with the 98% of the anger that we're really talking about and that you feel on a daily basis. Right. Because most of us, the vast majority of our anger is not about the injustices of the world is not about the brokenness or the harm caused to other people. Most of our anger centers around selfishness of people aren't doing what I want them to do when I want them to do it, and it's making my life harder. And so I'm either mad at people or I'm mad at God 
because they're making my life harder. This is not what my life is supposed to be, whether it's an illness or a difficult work situation or broken, you know, any, anything like that. I'm most of the time that is our anger, even like ranging all the way down to, I, I got a text from somebody that said like even road rage yeah, and like not thinking about that. Like it's all those forms, contempt for other people, feeling indignant towards somebody, feeling, saying you fool to somebody saying like seeing them as less than you, less righteous, less intelligent, less worthy, less anything. Like they they don't know how to drive, they don't know how to, you know, they don't know how to work, they don't know how to lead, they don't know how to coach, they don't know how to like all of those things is what Jesus is lumping together here that if you if you do that, if you if you sit there as a parent in the stands with anger towards the coach, because why doesn't he know he should put my kid in the game? Or why doesn't he know that they should do this? That is anger. That is contempt. And that is not how the kingdom functions. And so I'm I'm looking at it and saying, okay, let's leave those big examples of like a horrible crime happens to somebody you love or whatever. Again, that's rooted in love. Let's just deal with the 98% of the situations that we deal with on a daily basis and say, okay, root that out. Mm -hmm. Believe Jesus when he says it is so, it is so important. There are some scholars who think that Jesus is escalating the judgments because it's first says liable to judgment, then it's the council and then the fire of hell. Yeah. Um, You know, and, and I, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's all synonymous. I think it's judgment is judgment. Right, I think it's right. just like you are, you are, you get the same judgment. Either way, though, if he is escalating it, then the worst thing is you fool saying you fool, and and so I mean, goodness, we we justify that all the time. Like, well, they are a fool. Well, they are wrong. Right. Well, they are dumb. Well, right. they are like they well, are a bad I'm, employee I'm thinking, or a boss. And the thing is, Jesus doesn't like. I think in our heads we think, oh, it's no big deal, right? It's it's not a big deal. Right. So like, I'll I'll just like I'll give an ex- I'll give a very real example of something in my life that, um, it's just like I I get angry. I catch myself getting angry. And so right now we were talking earlier about my um, one and a half year old son. And I, I love him, and he is adorable. But he has this habit that my two daughters did not have, which was to to just like throw glass <laughs> throw if he gets his hand on a glass cup or on a glass plate, there's like a, a solid chance that he might just, just like chuck it, drop it, chuck it, like whatever. Good um, for him. Yeah, right. So so you know, last night uh we we had some plates that were out on the table from from dinner and he didn't even throw it. He just like slid it across the table and I was in the other room. Uh, I think I was I was making a cup of decaf coffee or something. I was in the other room, and all I heard was that smash. And in my head, I was like, "Oh, Abel!" And I had to catch myself in the moment of like, you know, frustration, which was which was anger, and it was me just being annoyed with it. Like it's just a glass, right? And so, give that over to the Lord. And and I, you know, I by God's grace, for, for me, I very quickly in my head, like, okay, Lord, like forgive me of getting angry and i think like the only the only outburst that he hears me go ah and i go all right it's just a just a plate scoop it up clean it get it thrown away like it's okay and you know i'll always you know it's okay but i think my tendency so the reason i even bring up that example is my tendency in that moment is to go oh i was just annoyed like it's no big deal but jesus escalates that to saying no that was that was anger because you were feeling inconvenienced and in that moment you did not love your family well because you were annoyed over a glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that right there. And look, this is coming from a person who has battled anger his whole life. Like I've battled anger my entire life, just outbursts of anger. And just, which is common for people who are very passionate. So we've talked many times about how you know, sin is just the perverted version. It's the perversion of a godly character trait. So God created me to be passionate, to be, to see things, to, you know, preach to, you know, all those different things. But, um, the perversion of that when it becomes selfish, then it can become anger. It can become argumentative. It can become like that kind of stuff. And, and so I don't, like I hope that that carries some weight when I'm preaching about that to say, look, I'm not 
the super passive guy who's just like, why, why do people get angry? Just chill out. You know, like that's not me. I'm saying Jesus is saying this is a big deal. And if I could simplify it for people, like just getting really practical, I appreciate that example. Cause that man, that's an example. Dude, I got, I got upset today because my kid wasn't backing out of the driveway in the right way. You know, like I was afraid he's going to run into a snow blank, snow bank while I'm trying to clear out snow. You know, I can't even imagine having a, uh, a kid who's driving. So yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And, and he was doing fine. Like he didn't do anything wrong, but I, but it wasn't the way I thought it should be right. going on in that moment. And so whenever you have those moments, um, you haven't, you have an option. You either feed it or you starve it. Like that's it. Mm. There's no, there's no like, well, just let it set. And the, the world will tell you, you know, Hey, go punch a pillow or go do something like that. And and I've always thought that was weird because like, Hey, deal with your anger by having an angry outburst. <laughs> right. Like, right. okay, well, I don't know if that, I don't know if that works. I understand. Like they talk about letting out steam, but the thing about letting out steam is that only is effective when it's still boiling and underneath, right? Like if it, if you, if it's not boiling anymore, you don't need to let out the steam. The steam needs to be, the pressure needs to be let out because the pressure is building and you let out a little bit of it so that, why? So that you can maintain the building of pressure, right? Like the pressure is still there. That's why you have to let it out a little bit. Um, why not deal with the pressure building up? Like don't, don't just, don't maintain your anger and just try to like make sure you don't go overboard with it, but kill it. And everything we do, you know, feeds it or, or starves it. And, um, you know, we feed it by like, we, you know, we, we justify ourselves. So we say like, well, he shouldn't be doing that. He shouldn't be throwing the plate. Those, you know, plates are expensive and now, you know, we need to be good stewards and we even back it up with godly things and we need to take care of our things because we need to be good stewards of that and good stewards of our money. And now I can't give this money to a missionary because I have to go buy a plate, you know, like, it's it, like all of a sudden you're like, Whoa. oh my gosh. Right. Like, haven't you ever done that in your head oh, where yeah. you're like oh, justifying yeah. it? And you think, man, if I wrote this out, I would, I would think this is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. This is the most ridiculous train of thought I've ever yeah. heard, but it makes sense in the moment because anger clouds that, but starving it looks like not justifying it and confessing it, right? right. Like just, I'm confessing my anger. Um, starving it looks like knowing that God says vengeance is mine. So even if you're dealing with a thing, so we talk about even if it is righteous anger, even if it's understandable anger where you've been wronged in some way, harmed in some way, or somebody you love has been hurt and you're angry about it, um, you still are, we're still called to starve anger. Right. Like we're still right. called to root it out and say, and the way that we do it there is partly is by saying, vengeance is God's it belongs to God God will make this right there are things that I can do but I can only do what I can do which you know I might it, I may need to be an advocate for somebody um, I might need to speak up on behalf of of somebody who has been harmed or where there's injustice I might have a way to work towards justice and reconciliation in an area but that doesn't mean with anger right there's a um, there's a huge difference between when that's done in anger and when that's done in motivated by love and compassion. And one of the ways you deal with that anger is to say, but God is going to make it right. So, so my acts here to try to make this work or to work within the justice system or to work within whatever, you know, is going on, whatever I can do. Um, I'm released from having to be, I'm not the final judge. Like if, because sometimes if you feel like you have to make this right and it's all on you to make it right, that's when things escalate in us. Right. And the anger and the frustration of not being able to make it right. But when you know that there is one who is going to make it right and I am just working towards that here on earth the best that I can, and, and um, then that, that can kind of starve anger because um, anger is desperate. Anger is it's self-centered, self-focused. It's, it's seeking a particular form of justice that it seems right to me. It's, it's greedy. It wants, it wants to be satisfied and it can't be satisfied. It is, it's like, you know, jealousy or any of these other things they talk about, um, you know, envy. Um, these are monsters in us that cannot be satisfied. And if you feed that anger, it'll never be enough. Like it'll never be satisfied. Um, 
it'll it'll only end in in more destruction and and then realizing that you know starving is also knowing that healing will come from god both in this life and the next um fully in the next and certainly to um, some extent here and so when you can let go of some of those things then you're not when you when you get released from saying okay for example let's get really clear someone legitimately like hurts you or someone you love when you can let go what you're letting go is you you're never saying like what they did is okay you're never saying what they did is no big deal anger wants to hold on to all that and wants to make sure that everybody knows like cuz cuz it's it's like the motivation to make sure they don't get away with it well they're not going to get away with it god is going to make all things right he right. holds us accountable for every wrong we talk about this all the time every sin will be fully paid for either in hell or on the cross period every single one so there's no such thing as anybody who gets away with anything for eternity um, he brings full restoration and healing for those who are in him. And so there's nothing you've lost. And so a lot of times anger is attached to things that we've lost that we can't get back or, or the fear of an injustice that is going to go unpaid for. But God takes care of those things. He is going to call to account all that was wrong, and he is going to restore and resurrect all things that were, that were lost. The question is just do we believe him? And ultimately then we see belief is how we starve anger and whether it's a big thing like that or some little injustice at work or some annoying person at work or whatever it's um we know that all i would want to encourage people to do is take it seriously the way jesus takes it seriously like if nothing else you look at that and say well all these definitions jesus takes it really seriously yeah and and anger will consume if you if you feed it if you let it sit and and if you otherwise or you confess it and you you get it out in the light and get it out in the open and don't justify it. And by the way, I think all of us have the experience of when somebody has wronged us or hurt us, or even if it's not like some big wrong, it's just like it is an inconvenience. Like sometimes people inconvenience us, and it's appropriate to let them know that at times. You say you're working with somebody and they're making your job harder and they don't know it, you know, to let them know. I think all of us have examples that we would say, well, is there, do you gain more ground? Do you solve more things when you're angry? Like when you bring that up or when you're not angry? Right, right. Like I don't know anybody who would say like anger was really the key to getting that done. Now I have said that with my kids where like if I don't get angry, then you don't listen to me. But I created that culture in that environment, not them. But like most of the time we'd say, no, it's actually if what we want is reconciliation, if what we want is peace, if what we want is the kingdom here on earth, then anger doesn't help us get any of those things. No, I, and I keep so I the, the like common thread that I kept hearing as you're as you're talking about this too is this this thread of you, you either you feed it or you starve it, and and when you starve it, what was what was so interesting to me is that it is the best when you starve that anger, it is the best thing not only for you but also for that other person or for that w- which has angered you, and and that like that's the important thing like you were saying. Vengeance is mine, right? It says says the Lord. He, I, I, I would far better trust His judgment than mine right. in that. And when I don't, it reveals like me thinking I know better, which is also worse off for me. So it's worse for me. It's worse for that person when I feed that anger. But when I starve it, it is it is better for me. It is better for the other person. It allows me to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, and it allows for hopefully there to be like if you were wronged, for there to be actual conviction and not just guilt you know um it, it allows for that so um yeah i think that's good yeah i think just for me to to tie a bow on it is to to sum up all of that um is remember that anger anger is not righteousness it, it is it is sin i mean ultimately even the the way that it takes root in us is destructive um even even at its beginning it, if it even if it's righteous at the beginning it very quickly in us turns to sin when we want to become the the avenger or we want to become the the one who brings justice um 
and so so I'd say that like it's not righteousness. It's very serious in all of its forms. So I'd say it's it's not righteousness. Right. It's something, and it's very serious in all of its forms: contempt, um, indignation, all those different forms that it takes. Um, it's it's serious in all of those forms, um, and that the response in it is always confess and go to Jesus and let him let him deal with it and let him deal with the and and root it you know root it out of our hearts that we basically then say give that over to him and say here I trust you I trust you to make this right I know you've called me to live in this particular way which is what he's going to go on and talk about like loving your enemies don't retaliate the only way you can do that is if you believe that he's going to make everything right if God was just telling us like yeah just let it go it's just no big deal well then we would think he was unjust we that that wouldn't seem right but when we trust him and we just hand it over to him and we say okay i trust you to take care of this and make it right i'm going to live in a way that shows i trust you um which by the way is a little bit like if if there's a crime committed if you trust law enforcement to do their job which some people would say i do some people would say i don't whatever but it, it, that's what matters if the whole phrase of taking matters into your own hands implies you don't trust the one who is right. actually right. in charge if you trust law enforcement to do their job then you don't take matters into your own hands you let them do their job if you trust god to be the right righteous judge of the world then you trust him to do his job and so then you don't take matters into your own hands which then is really the key to starving out starving out anger in all of its forms so there you go all right nice hey two weeks in a row Good, good podcast. If you got any questions or anything you'd like for us to tackle on the podcast, you can send us an email, connect at faithpeshtogo.com. Uh, we would love to talk about it. But as you go this week, go in peace. Go in peace.